This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card for this week is Neil Allen, pitcher for the New York Yankees, card number 384. All right, 384, Neil Allen. And Neil Allen was a suggestion from a listener. Yes. The listener, Mark Simon, suggested, when you get to Neil Allen, can I nominate myself as a guest? (laughs) And, And Mark said, my qualifications include his being my favorite Met at age eight, interviewing him about a trade, and blogging about his best games. And Matt, we're going to go through 792 episodes, so when somebody suggests a card for us to do, and that they are perhaps the world's preeminent expert on that card, we have to take them up on that offer. So Mark Simon, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. This is great. I have been looking forward to this since the day I sent in the suggestion. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, it's a no-brainer for us, Mark, and especially to have someone who's not just an expert on this card and on this player, but someone who's been writing about baseball for so long. It adds some credibility to what many might think is a very frivolous project. Uh, So we're very honored to have you on the show today. No such thing as frivolous projects, especially when it comes to baseball history and baseball in general. (laughs) And so as a little bit of background on Mark, this quote here, this this is one for to put on your resume. Carl Ravitch from Baseball Tonight said, when it comes to baseball and its history, I would put Mark Simon in the Hall of Fame first ballot. Just a fantastic recommendation there. So we knew that you would be a great uh, a great addition to the 1988 Tops podcast. Mark worked for nearly 16 years as a researcher at ESPN, including eight seasons on Baseball Tonight, and now works at Sports Info Solutions, providing data and analytics for Major League Baseball, NFL, and NBA teams, and is also a podcaster himself. I recently listened to the Sports Info Solutions podcast with Tommy Edmond, which was really fantastic. I didn't realize that Tommy Edmond was such, such a, a, a baseball stats nerd, and, and he's also really helped out my fantasy baseball team this year, as well as the <laughs> Journalism Salute and writing a book, The Yankees Index, Every Number Tells a Story. Every number tells a story. I don't know, David, this may be an issue because I thought I came up with off the top of my head that every card has a story to tell as our tagline, but now I realize that we may have to give royalties of some kind to Mark for this. Mark, do we do we owe you money? <laughs> no, it's I think it's a fairly popular thing to say. It is a cool book. I like to think of it as as like an independent movie that got a very nice rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but didn't particularly have a strong box office. (laughs) We'll have a link to it in the show notes anyway, so folks can get out and buy that. You mentioned in your tweet that Neil Allen was your favorite player. Tell us about eight-year-old Mark finding Neil Allen and why he was your favorite player. So eight-year-old Mark was a very intense baseball fan, and eight-year-old Mark had a father who used to own a candy store in which he was noted for his t-shirt machine, where he would make iron-ons. He would have iron-ons, and he would put them on t-shirts, and he would sell them to customers that came into the candy store. They were very popular, and they were pretty cool. And he had given up the candy store by that point, 
but he still had the t-shirt machine. And I had, I guess, established an affinity at that age as I've carried now for 35, 40 years. I like closers. And Neil Allen was my first closer because he was pitching at my introduction to the Mets. So he was my favorite guy, just kind of informally. And one day, my dad took me to a baseball card show. And Neil Allen was the guest at this baseball card show. And Neil Allen in 1983 for the Mets did not pitch particularly well, as we'll get to. He'd been the closer at the start of the year. They gave him a starter, too. He pitched well. And we get to me at the front of the line. And Neil Allen's looking down, and this is one of those baseball card shows where the guy's signing autographs and not looking up at people. You can tell maybe he's, he's in a bad mood or something's going on. And my dad sees this, and he's like, I can't let this moment go by. And very loud, he says, look at the shirt, Neil. Look at the shirt. Look at the shirt, Neil. <laughs> and Neil Allen's head pops up. What was on the shirt? It was just his rookie card. It was a picture of Neil Allen throwing a pitch. His 1980 Tops rookie card, which is what I think is one of the cooler Neil Allen baseball cards. And Neil Allen's entire demeanor and body language and everything completely changed. He talked to me for, I don't know, 30 to 60 seconds. And he said something to the effect of, I need to win some games for you. I need to pitch better for you. He signed the shirt. He signed the rookie card, which I still have. And from that point on, I was like, I'm a loyalty person. I'm going to be loyal to Neil Allen for the rest of his career and life. What an amazing story and would make me a fan for life too. One of the fun things about this show has been how, what kind of an effect that players can have on you know kids right at the time they begin to find this sport or find any kind of interest and what, what a change it can have for them. So that's a really cool story. Let's go to the front of this card because it's a uh, looks really good. So again, this is number 384. Neil Allen is, you know, reared back in the Yankees pinstripes. He's focused very clearly on home plate. I think it's a great action shot. He also had a high leg kick, and you can see the kind of end result here. Mark, does it bother you that we're looking at a Yankees card and not a Mets card? <laughs> no, that's all right. He had, he had some notable moments for the Yankees, too. I should point out, there are like one or two cards that have the leg kick at its peak, but it doesn't mm. really do it justice. His leg kick got really high. It's like a if you watch the videos of like a Juan Marichal, it's a little different from that because the leg's uh, more bent. But it, you wouldn't see a pitcher do that these days. I think my favorite Neil card is the 1982 one which is like the follow-through of what appears to be a warm-up, his last warm-up pitch, uh, where he's kind of got the fist in the air. I, I had thought that that was a celebratory card when I was a little kid, because like, he was known for like the fist in the air and the kind of the punch to conclude a game. But it's not, because you can see the third baseman in the background, hands on, hands on hips. It looks much more like a warm-up pitch. But I, 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 just, I think that that's a good-looking card. He's got a number of really good-looking cards. That is a good one, and I do like this one. This is a good action shot. You know, last week we had Tom Nieto with his boring warm-up jersey, and now we have Neil Allen in full glory. Let's go to the back of the card. Neil Allen, 6'2", 190, right-handed thrower and batter, drafted by the Mets in June 1976, acquired as a free agent September 4th, 1987, which we'll talk about, born January 24th, 1958 in Kansas City, Kansas, Home in Syosset, New York. So we've got a lot of stats on this card. So many of those are split seasons. So 
it's really only eight or nine seasons that he's in the major leagues, but there's 11 or 12 lines of statistics because he was traded midseason or, or released. Matt, as you said, he's born in Kansas City, Kansas, the youngest of four, born to Bob and Betty Ray Allen. Both of his parents were big baseball fans, and they were both supportive of Neil as he was growing up playing baseball. But when Neil was two, his father ran a stop sign and realized that he was having some vision problems. And so he went to the doctor, and he's diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which is a rare genetic eye problem that involves a breakdown and loss of cells in the retina. In Bob's case, this led to him being legally blind within a year. But his blindness didn't stop him from helping coach Neil as a pitcher. Neil said that Bob would listen as Neil was pitching and he, and he would yell tempo if he didn't hear the ball hit the mitt in the right amount of time. He, he <laughs> wanted Neil to, to pitch quicker, which does remind me of the movie Whiplash. Uh, and so I, I initially was thinking of Bob as a J.K. Simmons angry type. I don't want to put that kind of negativity in there because I don't think that Neil... I saw this as a negative. I don't think that that Bob was throwing symbols at him or anything. (laughs) Because Bob was also very helpful in Neil's career. He taught him the grip for a curveball. And even through his blindness was able to help Neil in his pitching career. Neil went to Bishop Ward High School. Other alums of Bishop Ward High School in Kansas City include David Segui and Ed Dwight. And Ed Dwight was the, the first black male to graduate from Bishop Ward And he became a pilot in the U.S. Air Force, went into astronaut training in 1961, and ultimately was not selected to be an astronaut. And he was forced out of NASA due to racial politics. He's now a renowned sculptor, and many of his sculptures are figures from the civil rights movement. I thought it was really interesting as well that Ed Dwight's father, Eddie Dwight, played in the Negro Leagues from 1925 to 1937 and played for Indianapolis and the KC Monarchs. Neil, while he was at Bishop Ward, was also a quarterback. So I don't know if he was a Gary Thurman type mobile quarterback, but Neil was very good. He was recruited to play football at K-State. And I've gotten into trouble here before talking about college football because I'm not really a fan, but I do remember K-State being terrible when I was growing up. That's correct. I was also recruited to attend <laughs> Kansas State University, not, not on the football team, but I was offered a scholarship to attend Kansas State University. And I can verify that both the University of Kansas and Kansas State had terrible football teams for a very long time. If I remember right, there was a, there was a famous game. This wasn't the Dust Bowl. What did they call it? Did they call it the Toilet Bowl? The game, as I recall, both teams were winless or close to it. And we're so bad that neither could beat the other. Oh, that was 1987. Matt, you're referencing the, the, the toilet bowl in 1987, also called the futility bowl by national commentators. The game featured 1-7 KU and 0-8 K-State, and it ended in a 17-17 tie. And so, yes, until Bill Snyder became the coach of K-State in the 1990s, they were really just utterly useless. So up until his senior season of high school, Neil was more well known for his football ability than his baseball ability. That changed in a game where he pitched against a guy named Sutcliffe, not Rick, but Terry, Rick's younger brother. At this point, Rick had already been drafted in the first round, was already on his way to the majors. Terry Sutcliffe is getting some recognition and 
Neil actually wins the matchup against Terry one nothing, and starts getting calls from Major League Scouts. And at that point, we have some good fatherly advice here. Bob again stepping in to help Neil's career. He says to him, Neil, you're not a rocket scientist and you don't have the discipline to sit down and do the academic work. Plus, if you play football and get beat up and have your shoulder ruined, then you don't have either baseball or football. Neil took that advice. He he ended up getting drafted in the 11th round by the Mets. He got a $6,000 bonus. He said that he went out and and bought a 1976 Grand Prix with a T-top. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great car. He said if he had played for Kansas State, he would have probably had his neck broken. And he made the right choice. So he's playing base, rookie league at Marion in six games. He strikes out 29 guys in 33 innings with a .879 whip. This gets him promoted to A-level starting at Wausau and started six games there. Went 4-2. and two. The next year he goes to Lynchburg. And pitches great. Goes 10-2 and two with a 2.79 ERA and 20 starts. 11 complete games. He led the league with 126 strikeouts. And then in 1978, gets a move up to AA. That leads us to the fun fact that he led the Texas League with a 2.10 ERA at Jackson in 1978. 5-9, and nine, but a 2.1 ERA and 111 strikeouts in 120 innings. That earns his call up to triple a we need to give some context here this is at a time where the mets were essentially terrible and the mets were in need of pitchers because they had let tom siever go uh they traded tom siever to the reds they traded jerry kuzman who ended up getting jesse orozco back all of their good pitching was gone just about all of their good players were gone they were trying to win on the cheap they needed guys like neil allen who were 11th round picks to be successful so Neil gets a call up shortly to AAA in 1978. Going into 1979, I don't think he's thought of as a as a top prospect. And he ends up earning a spot on the Mets. Neil Allen, Mike Scott, and Jesse Orozco were all forced into the pitching staff because ownership was cheap, even though they were all young and not really ready yet. Neil gets his start in the major leagues as a starter, but in five starts... He went 0-4 with a 7.52 ERA. He really thought that he was going to get sent back down to the minors. It's all over. Instead, he's moved into the bullpen. He gets some work as a middle reliever and then later as a closer. After that switch to the pen, his ERA the rest of that season was 2.52. And Mark, you might be the preeminent uh, Neil Allen expert. You've written a blog post about his best games and his most important games, I guess. One of them being his first win. He, as you said, uh, started out as a starter. And in fact, the first seven games that he pitched in, the Mets lost. And that should have been eight. On May 20th uh, of 1979, Neil came on in relief of a game against the Cardinals at Shea Stadium. The Mets were losing at the time and were losing seven to four in the 10th inning, their previous pitcher, Dale Murray, had given up three runs. Neil Allen got out of the jam that was caused in that inning. In the bottom of the 10th inning, in one of the great extra inning comebacks in Mets history, Richie Hebner, who hated, hated, hated being a New York Met, hit a game-tying three-run homer off of Daryl Knowles, who in Mets history is known as the pitcher who ended the 1973 World Series by getting the final out. 
as the A's beat the Mets in seven games. So the Mets tie the game 7-7. Neil Allen pitches a scoreless 11th inning, and in the bottom of the 11th inning, the Mets win the game on a base hit by Frank Tavares against that same Darryl Knowles, and that is the first Met win that Neil Allen appeared in, and it's his win. That's great, and it's sadly only one of 63 wins that the Mets got in 1979, so there are not a lot of opportunities for those. But later that season, Neil ends up getting his first save, pitching two and a third innings in a win over the Cubs on July 28th, and he finished that season with a respectable record, 6-10, and 10, eight saves, and a 3.55 ERA, so he really turned it around after those rough starts. I think an important point is that Joe Torre liked him. Joe Torre liked him a lot. And that, I think, carried through into the next season and beyond. So going into that 1980 season, he begins as the closer for the team. Unfortunately, this is another Mets team that doesn't have a lot of closing save opportunities. They lost 95 games. One game that jumped out at us that you might want to talk about, Mark, was the June 28th, 1980 game. The Mets, in the early part of that season, had a string of remarkable wins that allowed them to believe that they were in contention in the (laughs) NL East. They had a very famous game in Met history against the Giants where they were down 6-0 and they they wound up scoring seven runs and winning and scored a whole bunch in the ninth inning. Very dramatic. They had all these really exciting games and there's this false hope set of moments against the best team in baseball, the Phillies. And in fact, Neil Allen won the opener of the doubleheader, and saved the nightcap of the doubleheader after the Mets had rallied from a 4-2 to deficit. Neil was on a really good run. That was like peak Neil Allen at that point. Eight appearances, 15 and two-third innings, no runs allowed. The Mets believed that they were good at that point, that they were capable, and they very, 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 very much were not. (laughs) Another important moment that day, um, I was born. So that's... Oh, wow. Yeah, June 28th, 1980. So big day. Also in this 1980 season, Neil started something. He would overthrow the catcher and hit the screen as an intimidation so that the the batter didn't know what Neil was doing here. He said that the first time he did this was against Jose Cruz. And thanks to the beauty of Stathead, I was able to find that game. In 1980, with the bases loaded in the ninth inning, Jose Cruz was at the plate and Neil Allen threw one over the catcher, and then struck out Jose Cruz looking to end the game. So good moment in Neil Allen history. Yeah, this is one of the really endearing things that I found with him in that recent interview with Howie Rose. It's just the humility he had to say he was really willing to learn from other people in the bullpen. And so it's this kind of thing that he picked up from other pitchers, and he would try it himself Sometimes these tricks that he would learn wouldn't work on more expert batters, but they would work on younger ones. So I just thought that was a really just a fun thing about his personality. Yeah. And and also with that pitching education, very much a theme in his career and in his post-playing career as well. Neil ends 1980 with a career high 22 saves, fourth in the National League. He also got married that year. He follows that up in 81 and 82 with a couple decent seasons, 18 saves in 81 in the strike-shortened season, and 19 in 82. Moving into 1983, he started the season with the Mets. This is around the time when uh, a drinking problem begins, or at least that it starts to become clear. Yeah, it, it was a public issue and reported in the press. 
Neil struggled early in the season. He lost a couple games in a row to the Phillies on walk-off home runs, including one in which he gave up an ultimate grand slam, which I think is now available at Denny's. The ultimate grand slam, I had never heard this term before. A player on the home team hits a grand slam, trailing by three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, winning the game. This has happened 30 times since 1876, and Neil gave up the 15th of those to Bo Diaz of the Phillies. We've talked before about the immaculate inning and the ultimate grand slam. It's very obscure stats. There are some cool ones. There was one by Dick Schofield of the Angels in a game of the 1986 Angels who went on to win the AL West. They were down 12-5 to in the ninth inning, and they scored eight and he hit a grand slam to end that. There was another Alan Trammell hit one. Chris Hoyles, I believe Adam Dunn has one. Uh, it's a fun and quirky list. It's one of those, it's a very entertaining list. And one that I guess you, you might not be surprised. I've gone through before. <laughs> <laughs> this is the absolute ultimate backyard pretend wiffle ball scenario. Bottom of the ninth, we're down by three, bases loaded, I'm at the plate, two strikes, two outs, and hit a grand slam, one swing, wins the game. In that 1983 season, on top of those couple losses in a row to the Phillies, Allen was was suffering. He, he was not having a great year, and he ends up losing the closer role to Jesse Orozco, at which point his drinking worsened. Doctors at the time were quoted saying that this is about stress rather than alcoholism. And I feel like maybe they didn't properly deal with what would become a recurring problem for Neil. It was certainly a different time. Yeah. but it, And in May, he's going through these issues and he's thrown back into the rotation for a few games. He ends up getting his last win for the Mets on May 20th, 1983. He pitched a six-hit shutout versus the first-place Dodgers. And by this point, because of those publicized drinking problems, the Dodgers knew about it. And after the game, Dusty Baker, who, man, my love of Dusty Baker grows, he says, I'm sad for us, but I'm glad for him. So I I do want to say something here, and I'm glad you said what you said about Dusty Baker. I worked with Dusty Baker when I was at ESPN for a year, and he was fantastic. He was awesome. I talked to him about a number of things. He has remembered my name when I've seen him since. He has been very friendly. He's very jokey. He's he's extremely pleasant, and he's incredibly knowledgeable. And I brought up Neil Allen to him once, telling him the story of how he was my favorite player. And his, his response back to me was, Neil Allen is one of the good guys in baseball. And I always felt really good about that. And I think Neil Allen for a, a while was essentially a baseball lifer. And I think Dusty Baker has this respect for anyone who's been a uh, baseball lifer. Uh, and it was cool to hear that from him. You know that we love Dusty Baker stories, so I won't repeat mine, but he's he's <laughs> a favorite here. This May 20th shutout is his last win as a, as a Met. And this is also right around the time, Mark, of an important moment in your life, that card show where you're wearing your Neil Allen shirt. And then shortly thereafter, June 15th, he gets traded. He's part of a blockbuster trade with Rick Ownby to the Cardinals for Keith Hernandez. I'm kind of uh, flabbergasted by this trade. <laughs> Having looked at Neil Allen's stats in the years leading up to 1983, and then looking at Keith Hernandez's stats leading up to 1983, he's a few years removed from his MVP season. He had developed a cocaine habit. He'd gotten into some 
disputes with Whitey Herzog, but Keith Hernandez was a great player and a regular all-star and borderline Hall of Fame player. And Neil Allen is a, still at this point, he's a 26-year-old closer. Herzog said that getting rid of Hernandez was addition by subtraction. He said he felt that if they had kept him, his attitude and his bowl would have ruined our ball club. I know he never would have been as good for us as he has been for the Mets. In hindsight, you see Hernandez goes to the Mets, ends up winning a World Series in 1986. The Cardinals end up going to the World Series in 1985, but it's but Neil's not there. I think both teams turned out okay for it, but this was called by Mets catcher John Stearns the biggest heist since the Thomas Crown Affair. And Mark, as a Mets fan and a Neil Allen fan, how did you feel about this trade? So this is funny. I, I imagine that most people would think that an eight-year-old kid would have been like overwhelmingly crushed by his favorite player getting traded, but I don't remember it that way. I remember hearing it on the radio that it had happened, and I think at that point I knew on other teams who like the really good players were. Like I know I was very familiar with Dale Murphy because of TBS. I'm guessing I was probably familiar with Keith Hernandez and Ozzie Smith and some of the other great players on the Cardinals, but I remember being like, oh, okay, we just got a really good player here. And I think that that's how I viewed it. And I think looking at it now, it it makes no sense. Like, it, it really doesn't make any sense that a team would do that. Now, Whitey Herzog can say what he's going to say, but like, shoot, Keith Hernandez, come on. When I interviewed at ESPN, one of the questions I got asked was make an argument for either Steve Garvey, Bill Buckner, or Keith Hernandez for the Hall of Fame. And I jumped all over the Keith Hernandez one and talked about it for like three minutes. So, yeah, it worked out well, and little Mark Simon, thankfully, was not crushed. (laughs) And Neil saw it as an opportunity as well to get back on track. He ended up in the starting rotation, and it was a strong start for him. In his first eight games, he had a 5-1 and record with a 2.02 ERA, and that included back-to-back shutouts July 19th and 24th. In his first start as a Cardinal, his first game after the trade, eight scoreless against the Mets. (laughs) That's amazing. September 5th in 1983, another Neil Allen doubleheader special. He starts game one of the doubleheader and gets the win in relief in game two. And this was just pointed out to Mark on Twitter, I think. Uh, Twitter user Ron Cook sent a note to Mark and said, Have you ever written about when Neil Allen started one game of a doubleheader and relieved in Game 2 for the Cardinals in 1983? I like that you just get notes that just say, like, Have you written about this day in 1983 that Neil Allen had? I, I think people know me for my obscurity and my for the obscurity interest and my devotion to my favorite player. I found one or two other people who have said that Neil Allen was their favorite at the time. There's a woman on Twitter who's publicly acknowledged it named Debbie Cunningham, who whenever I bring him up, always uh, hits like on the, the tweets. And it's just, <laughs> there, are, there are people out there who, I remember I, we were going back and forth about it and she said something to the effect of, I'll share him with you. <laughs> so moving into 1984, he's back in the bullpen. Solid season, 9-6, and six, 3.55 ERA as the setup man for Bruce Suter. And then opening day, 1985, gave up a walk-off home run to Gary Carter in Gary Carter's first game as a Met. A very memorable game. That's kind of Neil Allen's signature game. 
at this point, and it's certainly Gary Carter's signature game as a Met. They had traded for him the year before, and I don't know, you guys are old enough that you might remember when you used to be able to call something called Sports Phone to get scores and updates on what was going on in sports. On a Monday night, we were watching either Kate and Alley or Newhart, and up pops <laughs> the news anchor during the commercial break. The Mets make a big trade. And this is at a time where you can't just go on Twitter and find out what it was. You call Sports Phone. So my father calls Sports Phone, and he hears the beginning of the message, and then he hangs up the phone, and he just starts screaming. I'm like, what? Gary Carter! <laughs> he was very excited. Gary Carter was like the player that I think is considered to have pushed the Mets over the top to winning the World Series in 1986, and it all starts with a home run against Neil Allen. At this point in 1985... Neil's drinking became a problem again, and by the middle of 1985, he had a 5.59 ERA, and his contract was sold to the Yankees. He pitched in 17 games that season, had a pretty strong close to the season, 2.76 ERA in those 17 games. Beginning 1986, though, he was traded to the White Sox with Scott Bradley and Glenn Braxton for Ron Hassey, Matt Winters, Chris Alvarez, and Eric Schmidt. This is a long list of names I've never heard. Aside from Ron Hassey, I've, Scott Bradley, I think, was a Mariner for a time. But other than Ron Hassey and Scott Bradley, I don't, don't have much to add there. Ron Hassey, his episode will be interesting when we get to it because he had a lot of notable moments. But Neil's back in the starting rotation. He starts 17 games with the White Sox, goes 7-2 and two with a 3.82 ERA, and has another uh, interesting moment that I think is in Mark's blog. July 20th, 1986, against the Yankees. If you remember with the, the Cardinals in his uh, first start against the Mets, pitched great. Here he's going back uh, facing the Yankees, kind of a, another revenge scenario. He pitched a, a shutout that I don't believe is possible in 2021. He pitched a zero strikeout, a zero walk, two-hit shutout against the Yankees. He retired the first 14 batters. He said, quote, after the game, I'm living a dream right now. The zero strikeout, zero walk shutout is a baseball rarity now. It wasn't back then, or it wasn't, I should say, it wasn't back, 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 back then. There have been 92 of them since 1901, but only one since 1990. Rick Porcello threw it in 2014 for the Tigers against the A's. In 1987, right after Neil Allen did it, the next year, Roger Clemens threw a zero strikeout, zero walk shutout. Neil had some injuries in 1986. He ends up missing some time in July and October. Returns for one game on October 1st. And then in 1987, he starts out poorly. Yeah, 0-7 in his first 15 games. The White Sox just straight up released him. Played in eight more games for the Yankees and then got a divorce. So in 1987, not a great year. And then he re-signed in 1988 with the Yankees for $250,000. So a, a pretty steep drop-off from that million-plus that he was making the year before. Neil gets released after the season, and then gets picked up by Cleveland in 1989. He spent most of his time in the Cleveland organization at AAA. He only pitched in three games in the majors that season. Matt, in his time in Cleveland, though, this leads us to one of your favorite <laughs> subjects, and that's YouTube comments. Yes, there's always gold to mine there. Do you have another podcast? So 
I talk about this a lot on my YouTube channel about YouTube comments. YouTube on YouTube on YouTube. In the comments section on YouTube of the one of these Neil Allen interviews, a commenter named Steamy Hot Latin said, I dated him in 1989 when he was with the Cleveland Indians. He had an arm injury then and took some time off from playing. Their loss was my gain. <laughs> so Neil's time, uh, at least he had some extracurricular activity happening in Cleveland if he was not able to play in 1989. I feel like he and Randy Reddy could have been out on the town together. So he ends up signing with Cincinnati in 1990, pitched in 12 games at AAA, but that was it. He retired that season. So closing the book on Neil Allen's career, career stats, 58 wins, 70 losses with a 3.88 ERA, 611 strikeouts and 988 in the third innings and 75 saves. And Mark, you noted a couple of batters that he loved to face and hated to face. Yeah, I always like to do this with, with any retired player. And I I was notorious for doing it with the players that would appear on baseball tonight. Neil Allen's hated to face on like the back of his baseball card would have been Wade Boggs, who was 8 for 11 against him. That makes sense. Wade Boggs wore out everybody. Neil Allen certainly not overpowering, and you'd figure Wade Boggs would hit him. He loved to face Reggie Jackson who was one for nine with four strikeouts against him. And I like that. And I'm guessing I can, you can kind of picture a big Reggie Jackson swing against that 12 to six curveball and Neil Allen being successful against Reggie Jackson. So that's one that I like. Neil's American League years are around the time that Reggie is finishing up his career. So those, yep. those numbers make sense. And he gets Wade Boggs in his prime. Yes. So how about in his retirement? Neil spent 20-plus years as a pitching coach at various levels. I I could go through each team, but we'd be here for another half hour. He started in the minors in the Blue Jays and Yankees organizations, reconnecting with his old coach from the Mets, Joe Torre. He also coached for the Greensboro Bats, which we referenced on the Tom Nieto episode. And he, I hopefully, he got to work with Dr. Dirt, the famous groundskeeper. Just, that would be a a legendary pairing. (laughs) Of Neil Allen and Dr. Dirt. Also something that we referenced in the Tom Nieto episode, Neil Allen was notably helpful to Chen Ming Wong, the pitcher for the Yankees, and was credited with teaching Wong how to throw a sinker. And that would become Chen Ming Wong's best pitch. In 2005, Allen was the Yankees bullpen coach, back to AAA in 2006. And in 2007, he joined the Rays organization. He coached all throughout the Rays minor league system, including with the Montgomery Biscuits, who wear one of my favorite hats, and the Durham Bulls. He was uh, very successful in those jobs. The young Rays pitchers in particular, the David Prices, the James Shields, eventually the Chris Archers, became big fans of his. We talked about like pitching education being a theme throughout Neil's career, and I think that the learning that he did probably helped him as he continued into this post-playing career. I did want to cite, I interviewed a former Mets pitcher once named John Pacella, who unfortunately was not on an 88 tops. But John Pacella's claim to fame was that when he would pitch, his hat would fall off his head. He was good friends with Neil Allen on like the 1980 and 1981 Mets. And he said, I never met someone with as good of a memory as Neil Allen had. 
So I would imagine that that was put to use pretty well in working with young pitchers. So in Neil's personal life, we already referenced one divorce, and he was divorced in the late 80s. He remarried in 1996 and had a son named Bobby. And his wife, Lisa, in 2012, while Neil is coaching, had a brain aneurysm and passed away at the age of 54. So we've seen some tragic moments and some really difficult personal issues that Neil's dealt with. He said he thought about quitting coaching at that time due to the stress of the situation as a newly single parent, but he didn't. And he continued through and continued to coach. And in 2014, he became the Twins pitching coach, which was a pretty big step up for him and a a big opportunity. He was the Twins pitching coach for three seasons. Unfortunately, some of his personal issues came to light again. And in 2016, he was arrested on a drunk driving charge. He said that he had been sober since his father's death in 1994 and that this was the worst night of his life. And he had to explain to his son and explain to his team what happened and, and apologize. But he also acknowledged that even though he had been sober for 22 years, it didn't change the fact that he was an alcoholic and that he could fall back into it. Something that earlier in his life he was didn't want to admit to. At this point, he went to a rehab program and returned to the team a few months later. While he was fired after the 2017 season, it wasn't due to this incident. And the the Twins gave him chances, and it was more of the team's performance issues. Neil didn't feel any bitterness toward the Twins on this issue. He said that he appreciated that the Twins stood by him after that DWI charge. And after he was fired, he was called by a reporter, and he said, I'm out here walking on the golf course trying to decide what Neil Allen is going to do now. What direction do I go? And how I go about doing this, because I've never been in this predicament before. He'd had a job for 30 plus years in baseball. And this is the first time that he was really without work. And to the best that we know, he's he's retired for good, right, Mark? That would be my educated guess at this point. Uh, he hasn't gotten a job in baseball since. They didn't talk about it in the 2019 interview that he did. In 2019, the Mets invited on a weekly basis for their uh, Friday night home games, former Mets to come sign autographs, appear on the broadcast and just kind of be ambassadors for a couple of days at City Field. He was one of them. And if you watched the interview uh, that he did with Howie Rose, he looks great. Like he's in his 60s at that point and he doesn't look aged or or particularly haggard. He looks good and he sounds uh, healthy. And I'm hopeful that that's very much still the case. So we've dug in now very deep into this card and into Neil Allen's career. And Mark, I wonder if you think there's anything we've forgotten. And then from there, hopefully if not, how you feel now about trying to sum up in one episode like this, a player that was your favorite and has been your favorite for so long. So this has been great. We're very fortunate that there are a number of really good resources that have helped us out with with this one. This Thomas Brown Sabre Bio Project and this interview, the Howie Rose one that we've already cited before. So in the 15 to 20 minutes before we started taping, I was scrambling through like IMDB because I am convinced that he appeared on an episode of the TV sitcom Eight is Enough, uh, <laughs> because the the Mets figured into that show there was a character who was married to one of the eight named Merle the Pearl Stockwell, who was a relief pitcher, 
who got called up to the Mets. And there were a number of Mets that were like in the background of Merle the Pearl Stockwell's scene at, I believe it was Dodger Stadium. And I, I would swear, and maybe this will be an update in a future week, I would swear that the last line of the scene where Merle is like deciding to go home or something is, Alan, get up! As in, like, it's going to be Neil pitching instead of Merle the Pearl. So that's the one tidbit that I think I remembered that, that we didn't get in. As for remembering him, I, I have heard a lot of people say that he was a really good dude. And I am of the belief that that is still the case. I am of the belief that I picked the right favorite player when I was eight years old. I am uh, weird enough that I own a Neil Allen uh, Yankees payroll check and a watercolor of Neil Allen that was painted by the artist who handles the Elvis Presley estate. When I was writing for ESPN, this guy is a huge Mets fan, and he started doing paintings and drawings of Mets, and they were really, really, really good. So I wrote an article about it, and he got back to me and says, can I do you some sort of favor? And I was like, well, you know, in the journalism world, that's inappropriate. We don't do that sort of thing. I said, but we can do this. Can you tell me what the lowest price is that, that you've, you've put on an item and the least amount of work that you did for a painting or drawing? And he gave me a number, and I said, I can pay that number. Can you do uh, Neil Allen's 1980 rookie card? And he said, yes. So I've got it hanging on my wall. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. So he stays on the wall because I believe that he was a good dude. Some things that pop out to me, he bounced around a lot in his career, and each time he would have a new opportunity, it seemed like he had a fresh lease on life. And whether it was moving from the bullpen back to starting or moving from starting back to the bullpen or a change to a different team, it seemed like each new change he was able to pick things back up, but then after a period of time, things would fall again. And that just is a... It's a difficult pattern, but he, for so long, he still put in the time and work to make a solid major league career out of it. One thing I also really liked was when, when Howie Rose asked him about, how did they make the decision to put you in the bullpen? And he said, well, I made myself a short starter by doing two and a third innings, three and a third innings. And they figured out, yeah, maybe we want to put you in the bullpen. That humility and that humanity that he showed in that was really good. I didn't know much about Neil Allen. I was impressed at how he overcame adversity, both in his early childhood, his family, and maybe the limited ceiling that he had. And and having that limitation and have your, your dad tell you, like, you should probably take this opportunity because you're not a college man. Maybe he's joking a little bit there, but Neil seems to have taken his chances. He has also overcome his own personal weaknesses and personal challenges and turn that into a long career both as a pitcher and as a coach while he said that drinking ruined his playing career he was given a really great second chance maybe because of his ability to overcome those things and because of his ability to talk to pitchers and to know I've been there and I I had a limited ceiling and I only had two pitches and he could talk to pitchers at that level he's also talked openly about the death of his wife, the failure of his first marriage, and his struggle with alcoholism. And I thought it was really a, a great way to put it. He said, and you've got to have this mentality if you're a relief pitcher. We talked about him blowing two games in a row, and then you got to get out there the next day and try to nail down a save. He said it's like being on the mound when you have a, a setback. You take a step off the mound, 
you regroup, and you learn from your mistakes. And it seems like Neil's in a good place right now. And hopefully, someday, the Mets send him a ring for his contribution to the 1986 World Series championship of being traded for Keith Hernandez. (laughs) Very well put. Well, Mark, we thank you so much for joining us on this trip through Neil Allen's career. Where can listeners find you? On Twitter, Mark A. Simon says. On work Twitter, sportsinfo underscore SIS. If you like sports analytics, baseball analytics, unusual baseball stats, maybe not as unusual as Neil Allen, that's a good place to go. And then you mentioned the podcast, so I'll bring it up. Journalism Salute is the hobby that I've got. 40 episodes deep, had a good time with that, talking to journalists to show that they are not the enemy of the people and that they do good work. I'm married to a journalist, so I can't wait to to dig into that. So thank you again. We really appreciate it. David, thank you. And thank you to you at home. If you're halfway through a Denny's Grand Slam right now, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.